evening. It is 5 p.m. and you're tuned in to Kingston Currents here on CFRC 11.9 FM. Brought to you by the local journalism initiative, Queen's University, and What Will I Wear at 732 Princess Street. I'm CFRC's broadcast journalist, Christina Laurie, here to keep you up to date on all things limestone local news. To start us off, Kingston Economic Development is accepting applications for the Starter Company Plus program until October 4th. The Starter Company Plus program offers training, one-on-one guidance, business mentorship, and more. Offered by Kingston Economic Development and funded by the Government of Ontario, this program empowers aspiring entrepreneurs and business owners to start and grow their businesses. Successful candidates accepted into the program will gain access to invaluable business training and one-on-one coaching. Each year, Kingston Economic Development allocates a total of $70,000 in micro-grants to support new and growing ventures through the Starter Company Plus program. Eligible individuals can pitch their business ideas to secure micro-grants of up to $5,000. Rob Tamblin, Business Development Manager, states, The Starter Company Plus program has been a game-changer for new Kingston area entrepreneurs. Whether you are looking for a bit of funding to assist with your startup costs or you're looking for guidance and advice on things like your business plan, marketing strategies, or cash flow management, Starter Company Plus can help. I'd encourage all who are looking for assistance in any of these areas to consider applying for the program. Applications for the Fall 2023 cohort are now open until October 4th. Successful applicants must attend a mandatory business boot camp from October 16th to 27th. To be eligible to pitch for a micro-grant, you can visit investkingston.ca slash startercompanyplus to apply. In new programming from the Kingston Frontenac Public Library, the Winnipeg General Strike take a glimpse into Canada's past with Michael Dupuis, a city brought to a standstill by the unwavering determination of its workers as post-war labor demands, politics, industry, and violence came together. Be transported back to the pivotal Winnipeg strike with historian Michael Dupuis in an upcoming program with Kingston Frontenac Public Library, which will unravel the motivations behind the strike, shedding light on the perspectives of both the strikers and employers, and the political responses at various levels of government. Canada was a changed nation after World War I, but the path ahead was unclear, says Jake Miller, librarian. Michael Dupuis will show how the Winnipeg General Strike, which ground Winnipeg to a halt from May 15th to June 26, 1919, put Canada's anxieties, hopes, and shortcomings on full display and impacted labor relations for decades. This is a great opportunity to learn more about such a crucial historical event. This event takes place at KFPL's Isabel Turner Branch on October 14th at 2pm. Registration is required and can be done at calendar.kfpl.ca. The presentation is based on Dupuis' book, Winnipeg's General Strike, Reports from the Front Lines, and The Winnipeg General Strike, Ordinary Men and Women Under Extraordinary Circumstances. KFPL has these books and more of Dupuis' works available to borrow. It is Fire Prevention Week in South Frontenac. If you had a fire in your home, do you have an escape plan? Is your smoke alarm working? These are the questions South Frontenac Township wants residents to ask themselves as it prepares for Fire Prevention Week. In 2022, the Ontario Fire Marshal's Office reported 113 fire-related deaths, the highest number in more than 20 years in the province. Yet just over one in three residents have a working smoke alarm, says Interim Fire Chief Alex Bennett. In a house fire, you have less than two minutes to get out. A working smoke alarm can save your life. This year, South Frontenac Fire and Rescue is asking people to take action and do at least one thing to keep themselves and their families safe. Whether it's testing their smoke alarm, making an escape plan, or remembering to turn pot handles to the back of the stove. We've had a couple devastating fires in our community in the past few years. We're hoping people will be compelled to take action to prevent fires and be prepared for any emergencies, says Bennett. Fire Prevention Week is October 8th to 14th, 2023. The theme this year is Cooking Safety Starts With You. Pay attention to fire prevention. Cooking is the lead cause of house fires and house fire injuries in Canada and the U.S. 
unattended cooking is the lead cause of cooking fires and deaths. South Frontenac Fire and Rescue offers these tips to help reduce the risk of a cooking fire. Number one, watch what you heat. Always keep a close eye on the stove and never leave cooking unattended. Two, turn pot handles towards the back of the stove and keep a lid nearby when cooking. If a small grease fire starts, slide the lid over the pan and turn off the burner. Three, have a kid in pet-free zone of at least three feet around the stove or grill. Here are some of the events and activities taking place in South Frontenac to promote fire prevention and emergency preparedness. Thursday, September 28th, Saved by the Beep, test your smoke alarm day. Volunteer firefighters will be out in the community reminding people about fire safety and encouraging them to test their smoke alarms. You can look for them from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. at the Sindem and Verona Foodland. Tuesday, October 10th from 7 to 9 p.m. is the Fire Station Open Houses. And September 28th to October 14th, hashtag Be Prepared South Front Act Contest. Snap a photo of you or family members doing something to be prepared in case of fire or an emergency and post it to social media using the hashtag, hashtag Be Prepared South Front Act. You can see the full contest details at southfrontnack.net. For more information on fire safety and events, you can visit southfrontneck.net slash fire-prevention or follow South Frontneck Fire and Rescue on Facebook at SF Fire and Rescue. The Limestone City Blues Festival concludes its historic 26-year run, paving the way for a new musical journey. After an incredible 26-year run, the Limestone City Blues Festival, produced by the Downtown Kingston Business Improvement Area, is drawing to a close. This beloved annual event has been an integral part of the community, showcasing world-class blues talent, fostering a sense of togetherness, and creating lasting memories for countless attendees. As a decades-long passion project for the organization, the decision to end the festival was made with careful consideration and an eye toward the future. The BIA is currently working on plans for a new music festival set to launch in 2025. The new music festival will be designed to better reflect Kingston's growing population and will aim to invite a broader audience to enjoy the experience of a large-scale live music event held in the heart of the city. This year's final edition of the Limestone City Blues Festival had already undergone many changes, as described by Jan McDonald, Festival Artistic Director and Director of Events at the BIA. We've been noticing, and not just as a result of COVID, but as a result of changing demographics, that our audience was getting a little bit smaller sort of year after year. And what we've noticed is that the average age of our audience is definitely, you know, blues fans tend to be 55 plus. Uh, so the number of people who were coming out to the festival was decreasing little by little each year. And then, of course, we had the impact of COVID. So people in, in that age bracket were less likely to come out to events where there were a lot of people. So we had some brainstorming sessions last fall with stakeholders, not only our staff, but our board members, some of our business owners and people in the music industry just to chat about what we could do to make the festival new and interesting to a younger demographic. Just after the wrap of this year's festival, McDonald also foreshadowed these big changes to come. Uh, we're, we are um, having serious planning sessions this fall to look at the future of not only the Blues Festival, but other festivals and events that we do. Um, you know, everything has its time and its place, and uh, I'm certainly not saying that the festival will go away. I really don't think it will but I think it will likely morph into a little bit more of a music festival as opposed to a traditional blues festival. The BIA would like to extend its heartfelt gratitude to everyone who has supported the Limestone City Blues Festival over the years. The sponsors, vendors, volunteers, and of course, the dedicated blues fans. As the organization bids a fond farewell to the Limestone City Blues Festival, it looks forward to creating a new musical tradition that will be as vibrant and dynamic as Kingston itself. 
This morning, protesters gathered at Confederation Park to show their support to the 2SLGBTQIA community in response to the 1 million march for children. Their main cause being the rejection of what they call gender ideology in the nation's schools. The 1 million march protesters in Kingston gathered in front of City Hall this morning. Kingston's 2SLGBTQIA community and allies responded with a counter-protest. Gathering directly across the street in Confederation Park, they responded by amplifying their message loud and clear. A few counter-protesters described the energy at City Hall this morning. It, I don't know, it's just been really, you know, beautiful to see this and everybody here, you know, nobody's the same, everybody's different, but we're all kind of, you know, here to support each other. I think the energy here is really mixed. I think there's a lot of sadness on our side of the road um, that we're at this place um, again and again and again. Um, but there's certainly a lot of energy to push back and... Um, just show that we're a strong group of people who are not going to be silenced and we are supporting our children and other people's children to express themselves and be themselves. It's been yeah. very good. Um, our side is having way much more fun than my <laughs> side, it appears to me. Counter-protesters also shared some of their reasons for attending. I'm on the GAN Pride Alliance Committee and um, had to be here to support the whole 2SLGBTQ community and my friends and just say that hate has no home here and this is just division pure and simple well i am a con ed student and in my um, lecture yesterday there was talk of the protest and i decided that i needed to come because as a teacher candidate um and as a member of the lgbt community it's such an important issue and this just can't be happening in our schools um and yeah that's that's pretty much why i'm here we're uh, lesbians and we have uh, friends who have trans and queer kids and I have two kids and a grandson and we want them yeah. to be free to express themselves and be supported in their choices we don't want um, people to tell tell us or tell them that there's something wrong with them at around 11.40 a.m., the 1 million March protesters left via Market Street to march through downtown. Counter-protesters celebrated and spilled over into the space in front of City Hall, waving their flags high. Ahead of the October arrival of the SS Kuwaitin at its new permanent home, the Marine Museum of the Great Lakes at Kingston has updated its name to the Great Lakes Museum. This new simplified name is also accompanied by an updated logo for the museum. The name update was undertaken in preparation for the relocation of the SS Kuwaitin from the Hamilton shipyard where it is currently undergoing refurbishment to its new home in Kingston. The ship is expected to leave Hamilton on October 12th and arrive in Kingston on October 14th, weather dependent. Here's what Museum Board Chair Director Chris West has to say about the museum. Start us off, would you like to introduce yourself and maybe give some details about your role at the Great Lakes Museum? Well, my name is Chris West, and I'm the chair of the board of directors at the Great Lakes Museum. And I've had the great privilege of doing that for the past 10 years and a bit more. And uh, it kind of grew on me, I suppose <laughs> you could say. Uh, I'm very excited about the progress we've made. It's been a, a tumultuous journey as the chair, as you may know, or some of the listeners may know. Um, we were uh, evicted from our National Historic Site waterfront property, the Kingston Dry Dock, 
in 2016, and I mean evicted. We'd been there for 40 some years and we were turfed out. And we were tenants of the federal government and the federal government said, well, this is no longer uh, an essential federal property. It's surplus. We would like somebody to buy it. Well, a developer bought it and he didn't need us. So this is one of the reasons why I've had a rather lengthy tenure as the chair. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, some might say overly lengthy, but uh, it, it's hard to, to get new, new, new fresh blood on a board when the institution's very, you know, uh, life itself is threatened. So we were in an existential crisis for a few years and through the extraordinary generosity of a, a great Kingston benefactor, Britton uh, uh, Smith, uh, we were able to buy back our property from the developer. Um, and in 2019, we moved back in. The place was in a shambles. Uh, it had been totally neglected and allowed to deteriorate very, very badly. And ever since we've been uh, the phoenix rising from the ashes, where we got we got this precious national historic site back, and volunteers and staff uh, had been extraordinarily motivated to turn this institution around. And uh, um, if you uh, go down there, uh, Christine, and, and have a look. Uh, uh, it's the place just sparkles. It's it's fresh. The gardens are the best they've ever been. The exterior and the interior of this this building that was derelict, uh, no running water, hot, cold, no light, no electricity, flooded out here, there, everywhere. Uh, it now it's just a sparkling jewel on Kingston's waterfront, and we're very very proud to, to be custodians of the, the Great Lakes Museum uh, today and with all its potential for where we're going uh, in the future. Uh, for folks who are maybe unfamiliar with the museum or interested in learning more, what can they expect to experience when they visit the museum today? Well, part of this uh, rebuilding exercise, uh, um, of course, is to populate our great gallery spaces with exhibits again. But as you can imagine, working through COVID and now coming out of COVID, uh, we've had to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars and invest thousands and thousands of uh, hours of labor, much of it volunteer labor, just to refurbish and make make uh, these gallery spaces usable again. We're just getting to that stage and now we have a fantastic ex exhibition on um, uh, drawing on the, the World War II uh, Merchant Navy or Naval Reserve uh, portraits of uh, Kingston's uh, famous portrait artist, Grant MacDonald from the, the 40s, 50s, 60s. He, he died in the 70s, I think. We have his wartime collection and we put an exhibit from this World War II uh, era uh, in one of our, our galleries, and it's it's a gem, and uh, it's fun. It's got something for kids of all ages, including adults. Uh, you can dress up as a tickle trunk, and you can see if you qualify to join the Navy uh, as a volunteer recruit, that kind of thing. 
Um, and so that's the first uh, first class exhibit that we've mounted since getting our, our space back. And we're now working on uh, the pump house, the historic uh, pump house, which houses the state-of-the-art Victorian era, late Victorian era uh, uh, steam pumps, steam-driven pumps uh, that would pump out the dry dock to make it a dry working space to work on the, uh, the undersides of ships that would, would pull into the dry dock for servicing. So we're going, we are in the process of, of uh, interpreting that space. It's, it's a fascinating space. It's the raison d'etre of the dry dock is that you can have this ship servicing capacity, but it's only possible with these massive, massive steam pumps. So you've got to explain, here's where the boilers were, here's where the, the coal came in, this is where it was burned, uh, this is the steam generation power that was uh, created to drive these massive pumps that could drain the dock very, very quickly. It had to be done quickly. Uh, all of that is in the process of being uh, explained, interpreted, and made into a fascinating space for our visitors. So that's uh, step two in this journey of repopulating the, the gallery spaces. Step three is that over the winter and in the spring, we'll be creating a, an interpretation exhibit space for the Kiwatan, uh, or the Kiwatan, as we now pronounce it, excuse me. Uh, and, and this will be the, uh, the our Kiwatan visitors' first exposure to, well, why was this ship built? Where was it? Built. What was the historical context? What was happening in the world at that time? Oh, it was built in Scotland. How did it get here? How did it get in through the, the locks into the, uh, the Great Lakes? Well, in fact, it had to be cut in two and floated in two pieces to get through the locks. <laughs> so all of that kind of backstory and, and uh, uh, why was the why was it the this ship running a, a route from Georgian Bay up to what we now call Thunder Bay uh, in Lake Superior? What was that all about? Oh, it was owned by and operated by the CPR. Well, what was the CPR doing in the shipping business? Well, it was more efficient rather than through the rail line through northern Ontario, which was very rough and unpredictable and difficult to manage. It was a smoother and more uh, economically efficient uh, part of the journey to do it by water. And remember, there were no roads back there. This is mm -hmm. before the, the great highways and the Trans-Canada system had even been conceived of. So uh, this, uh, these ships and the Kiwaitan was one of a, a, a number of ships uh, from different lines on the US and the Canadian side that were transiting the same routes and carrying goods and passengers in both directions uh, throughout the Great Lakes. Uh, in the case of the Kiwaitan, uh, in the early days, many, many uh, immigrants uh, who settled in the prairies arrived uh, in this fashion. Uh, they you know, may have landed in uh, Quebec City or Montreal and eventually made their way by train uh, to Port McNichol, 
the rail terminal there and then uh, continued their journey by ship all the way up to the lakehead and then got on CPR again and headed out west. So there's a whole lot of Canadian history tied up in the Kiwetan and you can't just tell all of that as you're being guided through the ship and your your jaw is dropping in awe at the grandeur of it. It's it's really grand. It's like a movie set. Wow. Um, no, you need a quiet contemplative space where you've got this exhibit on shore where you can grasp some of this contextual information first. So that's the interpretive exhibit. Uh, and that's the third one that we're working on. And that's a big, big job. West also got into some of the details of the logo and the name change. I think it was tinkered with once before, a long time ago, let's say maybe 30 years ago or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, the logo uh, consisted of um, some wavy bits, as, as we still have now. But there were six of them, and it was to me it looked like a mustache. If you kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> backed away from it, on top of the name Great Lakes uh, Marine Museum of the Great Lakes at Kingston, um, we thought uh, our, our marketing group and, and, and communications uh, committee, and then uh, the board uh, thought, well, we're never going to have a chance again like this one with the arrival of the Kiwetan to uh, refresh our brand, uh, to do a rebranding uh, that perhaps would be very much in keeping with where the museum is going and expanding our horizons a bit Um, with uh, some of this contextual background I tried to convey to you and our audience listening in. Uh, it becomes apparent that the Kiwetan is a story about the entire Great Lakes and even beyond, it fits into Canadian history and European history. And so we wanted to perhaps uh, uh, expand our scope without diminishing in any way our essential mission and purpose, which anybody can Google, but our, our mission is to uh, connect people to the Great Lakes and to preserve and tell its stories uh, uh, from the past and the present and projecting it into the future. So it, it, by simplifying the name and making it Great Lakes Museum rather than the Marine Museum, which might make some people think, oh, you're mainly interested in the ecology of, of, of the Great Lakes, or you're mainly going to be telling stories about uh, the Marine Museum of the Great Lakes at Kingston, but not, not so much perhaps beyond. Uh, uh, the board, uh, after much work had been done, heard some recommendations from the committee, and it, it made powerful sense to all of us. And uh, the board voted resoundingly to make this change for the, the reasons I've articulated, I've attempted to articulate. But uh, a broader scope was a big part of it, and a simplification of the brand, and getting back to the mustache of the wavy bits. <laughs> uh, um, 
uh, a wonderful volunteer, uh, um, uh, recently retired uh, branding consultant and designer, John Charette uh, on our team. Um, he just removed one of those whiskers from the mustache and, and repositioned them a bit so that there were five of them. Now we've got five great lakes symbolically in the logo. And uh, now when you back away a bit, instead of seeing a mustache, you see what looks like a pennant or a flag waving from, from mm -hmm. a vessel. Yeah. That's the impression that we wanted to create. So it's, it's not a revolutionary change in the logo. It's an evolutionary one, but we think it's more on brand, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, and and supports uh, the notion that we have stories to tell about the entire Great Lakes Basin and even uh, 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 beyond in both directions. Whether you want to think uh, where did where Kiwaiten come from originally, Scotland, Europe, what was happening in the early 1900s uh, in Europe, and why were these ships built? There were some. Thousands of them built, Christina, mm -hmm. uh, and there are only two or three left in the world today. Only wow. two, and, and this is one of them. Further information about the Kiwaitans' arrival will be published in early October, and as weather forecasts are known for the departure date, arrival events are being planned around the museum, and details will be published in the near future. Tours of the Kiwaitan will be offered beginning in spring 2024, as refurbishment work will be continuing following its arrival in Kingston. Well, the website is the first place to go, um, uh, www.marmuseum.ca, M-A-R-N-U-S-E-U-M.ca. And uh, we have a presence everywhere in social media that you would expect. So Facebook, mm -hmm. Instagram, uh, X previously known as Twitter, I, I may be leaving out a couple of the other ones, I'm not sure. Uh, but um, the first place to check would be the website. Our volunteer base has grown exponentially in the last couple of years. People are excited, but I, I want to emphasize that we have capacity and we could use many, many volunteers once the ship arrives. It's going to be you know, it, it'll just be like a magnet, but I encourage people, anyone who might be interested in volunteering in any capacity with the key waiting, drop down at the museum, have a chat at the reception, uh, and uh, uh, we will definitely follow up with you and see if there's a fit that might be of interest. That is all things current in Kingston for this week. Thank you for listening to CFRC's local news programming, brought to you by the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada under the Local Journalism Initiative, Queen's University, and What Will I Wear at 732 Princess Street. Be sure to stay tuned for more CFRC programming coming up next. 
What'll I Wear offers the best in vintage, funky, one-of-a-kind treasures, clothing, accessories, and a fabulous selection of jewels, vintage and new. Find the cutest purse, the most dashing of hats and sunglasses, everything to complete your individual look. What'll I Wear has it all. They can dress you from top to bottom. Find your new fashion fave at What'll I Wear at 732 Princess Street in Kingston. Visit their new location and follow them on Facebook to keep up to date with what's in store at What'll I Wear. Dear listeners, as you may have heard, Meta, which owns Instagram and Facebook, is blocking Canadian access to all content created by news providers, including this radio station, in response to the Online Broadcasting Act. Access to local news and information matters to everyone, and while radio stations use their airwaves to keep you informed, we also use social media to share local news, events, and initiatives, and even content about our upcoming programming. We need you to write your MP and convey your concerns. Learn more and find a letter template for your MP on our website, cfrc.ca. Thank you for your support. 